0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com. From Cabernet
1: to Mone, they're here to slay
0: the art history babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Ginny. I'm Jen, and we are the Art History Babes. Art History Babes.
1: We're um Sans Natalie. Today she's out. She's out there on the scene. On the art scene. Oh, she's on the art scene. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about our one of our favorite problematic problematic babes, Salvador Dali. Yeah, man. There's a lot to say. I just love him, but he's such a fucking weirdo. So yeah, I I can't
0: wait to talk about how weird he is. Weird is a bit of an understatement. Yes.
2: I know. I have that quote from him. I am not strange. I am just not normal. It's like, no, you you were strange. No, you're you're, you're (laughs) actually strange. You 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 weren't normal. You weren't normal. But but you were strange. You were beyond
0: strange. And also, I've stated it over and over again, he is easily my most problematic fave because Mm -hmm. I have a very personal... Like, connection with Dali, and he's also the worst. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: he's pretty bad. And I'm glad that we're talking about Dali, um, because I was thinking about Salvador Dali, and I was thinking about how he is this sort of, like, he's like a cultural phenomenon. In the sense that, like, you know, people who don't know anything about art know or Dali. art history. Yeah. No Dali, yeah. no the melting clocks, yeah. no the big long leg elephants. Mm-hmm. You know, just the other night um at the local ye oldie pub um <laughs> a, a girl is uh was um hanging out with us um and she had the tattoo that I've seen a, a million times not to you know disparage her choice of tattoo but we've seen it with the long leg yeah. elephants mm-hmm. or the long leg. I think it's a giraffe
2: or a horse I don't even or know honestly.
1: But you know, so she had it on her arm, and it's just something that I thought, huh? Like it's really. I wonder what it is about this weirdo <laughs> that we are so fascinated <laughs> by, and um, so we're gonna unpack some of that today.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's really hard to say, because I know I've told this story on the podcast before, but, like, and it's almost now, now that I'm, like, so deep in art history, I kind of find it boring, but, like, (laughs) when I was in middle school, like, Salvador Dali is what got me into art, because I didn't have... My family wasn't particularly individual art for the most part. My mom kind of liked photography. But, like, I, it wasn't a big thing in my house. And I was just, like, at my local library in, like, middle school. And I was, like, art. And I, like, pulled out a Salvador Dali <laughs> book. And I was just, like, and I didn't understand any of it. And yeah. that I loved every everything about it. I loved how much I didn't understand it. And from there on out, like, he was – My favorite artist, and I got really into art. So he's responsible for that. So thanks. So thanks. (laughs) Thank Um, you, Salvador. And he and and yeah, and that's a common thing. And and I'm going to talk about that a little bit too. But yeah, it's a total cultural phenomenon. Everyone just went ape shit for Salvador Dali. Yeah, and still kind of do. People still do,
1: and I think that. I think it has something to do with there is a essential, there's sort of a, there's a timelessness to his work. Almost every work by Dali doesn't elicit a certain period in time. Yeah. yeah. So there's nothing historical yeah, definitely. that is referencing anything that's that is happening in the world necessarily. I mean, obviously once you start to deconstruct a work, you know, he's not just working in a bubble. Yeah. But um, there's something about just the hyper smooth sort of realism to his figures. There, there's a crispness. There's, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of this um, hearkening to the sort of golden age of like classical mm-hmm. art. So I feel like he employs the language of like classical forms in like his bodies. Yeah. yeah. You know, but at the same time... It's crazy. Yeah, his compositions
0: are insane. Out of (laughs)
1: control. So I think there's a lot about his choices that make him a timeless artist.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that make him compelling and interesting and make you, like, step back and go, like, what is happening? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. All right. uh, Salvador Dali. So he was a lot of things, this man. Was a lot of stuff. Um, (laughs) all kinds of stuff he really was Um, okay so he you know he's most well known as as a surrealist painter like that's kind of what everyone thinks of him surrealism just like quick bare bones definition if you're unfamiliar is a style it's a cultural movement but it's associated often with visual art and it's a style that seeks to kind of explore the dream world or explore the way like
1: the subconscious yeah the subconscious
0: and the way our dreams and reality kind of work together. Um so so yeah that's i mean that's the easiest way to describe a surrealist painting it kind of looks like a dream, you know. Things right. don't really make sense and right. So he's a surrealist painter, he was also an inventor. He studied Of course he was. Of course I did not know was. that.
2: That makes sense though. Yeah, he
0: would just like make like furniture and shit like I <laughs> do. Really? Yeah. Should sure, I not Are you familiar with Bakelite? No. It was the stuff that was, like, it was, like, a material that was supposed to, from what I understand, it was supposed to, like, form to you in some way. Oh. Yeah. And he would, like, make furniture out of it. (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, I've never heard of that before. Yeah. um, So, he just liked to experiment. So, he was, like, a little inventor. He studied philosophy from a really young age. He was really into Kant and oh god uh, yeah um, (laughs) and and Nietzsche as well Uh, um, but he was really into philosophy and psychoanalysis which I mean I those are my favorite artists are the ones that are really into philosophy and psychology I just think it really adds to their artistic output but he also wrote scripts he illustrated books he designed like I said he designed furniture and clothing uh, he created theatrical scenery and costumes he choreographed a ballet
2: Oh, that's right. Um,
0: yeah. He worked in film, um, which I'll talk about a little bit more. But, like, he worked with Hitchcock. He worked with Disney. He mm-hmm. was originally, yeah. like, on Fantasia, like, working on Fantasia. Yeah. Before he, like, got the boot. Yeah, <laughs> like, Him and Kate Nielsen nah. both got kicked
2: to the yeah. curb. <laughs> I know. Aww. Oh, yeah. Um, okay.
0: But there is another uh, work he did with Disney that w- it was never finished. And then someone finished it and oh and put, is it
1: that like more recent one yeah that
0: looks like a dolly oh, yeah baby. yes that one's yes. super cool
1: look it up on youtube watch it just it look is, up like
0: salvador Dali and disney it'll come up right. it's beautiful yeah it is right. beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. i
1: saw it and was like whoa yeah
0: no it's great um and it's clear. yeah it's very clearly dolly and it, it came it came from his sketches and it was like a, a Work in progress that never got finished. But yeah, so he did all these things. He also was a huge narcissist, like no, the definition of narcissism. Dolly, <laughs> yeah. what? Um, so many narcissists in the world. Oh yeah, but he was
1: narcissi.
0: Narcissi. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Real world. <laughs> um, he was. He was on another level um, of narcissism. Kind of a Renaissance man, if you want to use that terminology. He was born May eleventh, nineteen oh four. Oh. Um, he claimed to have memories from in utero.
2: Wow! He yeah,
0: because he- I
2: claimed that as well until I was like eight. <laughs> what do you remember? From- <laughs> well, I think it was one of those like false memories you create for yourself. Because I was like, I remember floating in an inner tube in the liquids in my mother's stomach. <laughs> Your mom probably was like, she is a prophet, a uh, uh, crystal child, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just like briefly
1: having met your mom, yeah. Um, like you, I feel like your mom would have like believed that, yeah. And like consulted her psychic about Not her life. And who knows?
0: Maybe those are real memories. I, like, I never know. I, don't. I um, hope so. Yeah. And likewise, Salvador, maybe you did. Like, like, like spirits. Yeah. Um. Maybe you're him reincarnated Oh, don't tell me. No, he <laughs> died. He died in '89. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ginny is a pleasure to have yeah, in your life, but
0: that's the thing about reincarnation. You're supposed to like learn in your life you and come back he, a better he, person.
1: Do you think he learned to be less of a shit. Yeah, came back as our our loving, what? adorable
0: Jenny. Yeah, exactly. Aww. I don't. Oh man,
1: She's I'm gonna just, like, like wake stop. up in the middle of the night, just like oh. <laughs> yeah, we're
0: already getting real weird with this. Okay. Oh, <laughs>
1: well, it's fitting. It is.
0: It's very fitting. So. He claims to have, mem- have memories from in utero. This is kind of trippy. So he's born nine months after his brother, also named Salvador, died. <gasps> oh yeah, yeah. And, um, and he lived his
1: whole life like having like intense weird anxiety and like guilt about his dead brother. Yeah, because yeah.
0: his parents believed that he was the like, first Salvador reincarnated.
1: That is fucked. So up.
0: Ginny, you're both a Salvador. Ah! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> ah, that's fucking weird. I know. So his parents believed, you know, he was his brother reincarnated, and then, you know, we've heard this story because, like, we talked about it in our our getting graphic episode about the graphic novelist who felt he was living in his dead brother's like shadow. Yeah, um, Art Spiegelman. Yeah, Art Spiegelman. So, and I've heard it. Yeah, that would do a number on you. Yeah, it's just like you hear it a lot of yeah. this like you, you know one sibling dies and then you're kind of like living up to that sibling. So, Salvador Dali was kind of he kind of saw himself as a substitute for the first Salvador. Um, but as a child, he was very much doted on by his mother. She was very attentive towards him. He played by himself a lot. Oh,
1: I relate to that. <laughs> I do too.
0: We all do. Oh, no. <laughs> you got to we're all
2: pretty much only children. Yeah, you got a table Free of us. like yeah. only
0: children here. Um, but he played by himself, but the thing is I think it was also partially just because he was a narcissist because he would dress himself as a king and observe himself in a mirror. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and there oh, are, are also wow. stories of You know, we're just going to dive right in. There are stories that he also uh, would masturbate doing this, like, dressed as a king in the mirror.
1: (laughs) I've heard heard of men masturbating in the mirror. I don't know what the
0: hell that is. <laughs> that is some weird I
1: mean, trippy
2: shit.
0: If that's what you're into, that's totally fine. It's more honestly the dressed as a king in a mirror thing it's that kind of gets
2: me. Yeah. yeah. Um that's yeah. a little but
0: whatever. It, it just screams narcissism. So what narcissism. if you just
1: have like a king outfit?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. just get one. I don't know, I'm I don't to know how, the details how
2: like authentic it
0: was. Yes. Yeah. It was just it was like a when you, when you make crown. A, a crown yeah. out of like construction paper, like oh, a jewel on it. <laughs> this is so
1: bad. I'm just envisioning like one of those like uh, Burger King yeah. like little crowns like, yes. <laughs> and like a towel for yeah. like a cape
0: or something. Probably. Oh um, that's boy. A good way to imagine I'm it. Stop thinking um, about that. That's a yeah. weird. Really <laughs> so yeah, he was pretty much he was concerned with death and eroticism, like straight out the gate. Yeah. Like these were there are heavy themes in his work. There are things he's interested in. Let's be real. Who isn't? They're fascinating. Right. Death and eroticism. Let's talk about them all day long. But like, not not yeah. like
1: just eroticism though. Like he had like intense like sexual like neurosis. Yeah. Like he was like real freaked out. Anecdote time. His dad left a book out one day of um a bunch. It was a like a medical textbook. And in it were just images, like, real pictures of people with advanced venereal diseases. Ugh. And he saw that as a young kid and was, like, horrified but also, like, fascinated. And that, like, really impacted him, like, in his life. Huh. was, like, a fear, like, a super intense fear of of venereal disease and, like, genital, like, mutilation.
0: Yeah. And we'll talk about this a little bit more but, yeah, he definitely had impotence issues mm-hmm. um, that kind of arose. And they, you know, can arguably be seen in his work sometimes as well. For sure. Um, eroticism, sure. sexuality, kind of a complex but obviously, like, horrifying thing to him. But also, like, a fascination. Which is another thing you see with Dali, like, being fascinated with horrifying things that's Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. which I get but it's also like whoa um
1: (laughs) (laughs) I get it but whoa (laughs)
0: Um, February 1921 Dolly's mom dies um which was really hard on him because he had a close relationship with her and then his father remarried his mother's sister. Oh weird. <laughs> <laughs> How you gotta do that. I wow, know. What a dude. <laughs> Who
1: does that, dude?
0: No. Um I mean I think maybe it's one of those things that like different time it might be a little more like Nah dude. No. That's like <laughs> universally not okay.
1: Also this was only like less it was like less than a hundred years
0: ago. Yeah that's true. I just like, I think I, I think yeah. of it in yeah. this like almost like, marriage out of necessity, but it probably wasn't. No, no, no. It's just, like, you're already,
2: of survival. and you're already
0: connected, right, right. because they're like, family. Right. plenty of kings, and, of, but he came like, Henry like, Tudor, like, Tudor married right. his brother's Exactly. Wife so, thinking it, of it like that, yeah. but at the same time, this is 1920s, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: they were, they, they were banging on the side. <laughs> I don't know if that's the Wife case. Wife dies. I don't know. Marries the sister. I don't that's know. <laughs> what happened. I
0: called it. That's I, the story. There's <laughs> no evidence to that. <laughs> course,
1: it I mean, maybe. Cite that source. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, Cite me.
0: As a gen, art history baby. Yeah. Um, um, so, okay. So he, uh, Dolly, when he's a teenager, he goes to art school in Madrid starts studying cubism on his own, because cubism's, like, you know, really big at this time. Mm-hmm. He starts, like, studying it on his own, because basically he just, like, doesn't think that his professors can teach, and, like, he doesn't think they know shit. Of He's course. A yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's a narcissist. And they also... Weren't, like, teaching cubism and stuff. So, I mean, you know, he's kind of right. But he, he he's basically just, like, doesn't have a good attitude, all right? He's got a bad attitude. He has an attitude, he's a, attitude <laughs> problem. He's got a serious. He's got a fucking attitude. <laughs> <laughs> he's got an attitude problem, which eventually gets him banished from the academy. Because um, nice. they're like, we just don't want to fuck with this guy anymore. Yep. But while he's there, he meets Lou, uh, Louis Bunuel, which is kind of how he gets started hanging out with the Surrealists. In mm-hmm. 1928. He's hanging out with Buñuel. He's hanging out with the Surrealists. The two of them together make a film called Un Chien Andalou. It's a short film. It's on YouTube. We'll post it, and it's just a trippy ass surreal film. It grosses um, me out. It's it's a lot of weird oh, shit going yeah. on, and it. Um, that's
2: where they do like the eyeball getting yeah. squished, yeah. right? Well, it's, it's like it's it's a getting a slicing. Oh, that's right. That's right.
0: If you haven't seen it, and you should. It's it's short. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, you may be familiar with the image of a woman's eyeball being cut because mm-hmm. that became one of the defining yeah. images. <laughs> right. of the story like even horrified, yeah. people thought it was real, and it's not comfortable to watch. It's, but it's. I mean, in a sense, it was real. It was a cow's eye. That's right. That was being yeah. cut, right. but it wasn't
1: like her. It eye. wasn't her yeah.
0: eye, but still, it was. You know, it wasn't like. Yeah.
1: 19- it was an actual
0: eye. Yeah,
1: in the 1920s, people are not aware of a lot
0: of the tricks of the <laughs> yeah. films they yeah. are like, oh! Um, but there's, and there's a lot of other weird shit, too. Like, there's, like, ants, like, coming yeah. out of yeah. this guy's hand. Ah. Um, so it's just, like, nightmarish. To, I yeah. mean, not nightmare, like, horrible, but, like, there's some creepy stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really good. You should check it out. Um, They also made The Golden Age, which... I haven't watched yet, but I think is also on YouTube. It's much longer. It's like an hour long. They made that together and it ended up being prohibited in France mm-hmm. and couldn't wow. be shown for fifty years.
1: Hilarious. I know.
0: So like the country
1: banned it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god.
0: That's... Not for fifty years. Um, um,
1: I need to watch that now.
0: And then yeah, the two of them basically as you would expect with Dali being a huge narcissist, they just can't see eye to eye on things. <laughs> No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and things fall apart. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Summer of 1929, he meets Gala, who at the time is married to uh, Paul L- L- U- R, Um And the two of them, Gala and Paul Eluard, are in an open relationship a very open relationship and they kind of have like this poly thing going on with max ernst for a while dude yeah
1: yeah, yeah
0: they're just like living together and just loving on each other um Whoa. which is kind of you know very max very Ernst is amazing yeah i know i was like okay okay yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it's very 1920s paris bohem <laughs> like. it's a, it's a bohemian <laughs> right. dolly falls in love with gala like right away um she was a stunning lady she's very stunning and he has done many works of her many portraits and things um they got married in 1956 so quite like many years later but obviously they kind of got involved right away because yeah. you know it was like a it's an open fluid thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she was so they get married. So she leaves uh, Eluard, and they get married in 1956. Um, he considered her like a muse, a model, and a manager. Um, wow. The three M's. The three M's. Wow. So she was like she was just on top of everything. Like she she made the Dali that became the Dali. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For um, sure. In fact, he signed many of his paintings, uh, Gala Salvador Dali. I know. Oh my God, you know what that that. reminds
1: me of? That reminds me of when John Lennon changed his middle name to Ono. Oh, yeah. And started going by John Ono Lennon. I forgot about that. Yeah, I just randomly remember that. Yeah. True love. True love. Get Um. you you a man's (laughs) that takes your name.
0: Also, he credited her with curing his impotence, so... Sure. No small feat. (laughs) Wow. Pressure. Yeah, right. Lots of pressure. So they have a very interesting love story. Um, Pretty much anything, like, any biography you find on Salvador Dali, or documentary, talks a lot about her. She's often painted as kind of a femme fatale Mm -hmm. figure. Yeah. And kind of rightfully so. Like, she was, you know... Beautiful and enchanting, and also just did her thing. She and was the
1: muse of, of many of the surrealist artists. Yeah,
0: so she's she was a force, a force to be reckoned yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Very much
1: ahead of her time, too. It yeah, seems like like whoa. just sort of like a badass babe, pissing off dudes, making other dudes fall in
0: love. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is what we all just hope to be, is it not? <laughs> For real. Pissing
1: him off and making them fall yeah, Not to mention sometimes at the same time.
0: Yeah. Not to mention late in life, Salvador Dali buys Gala a castle, like fifty miles <laughs> oh, from I where he it. lives. I love this. Because she just she's like, buy me a castle and so he just did. <laughs> I want a <laughs> castle,
1: but I want it like far away <laughs> <later> from you. <laughs>
0: Okay. okay. <laughs> Whatever At least you want. Half hour straight. Yeah. Um so yeah. So she's she's very uh interesting figure in his life. At 37, Dali wrote his autobiography, The Secret Life of Salvador Dali. I haven't read it, but from what I can tell, from what I've read, he draws this picture of himself as eccentric, enigmatic, and godly that surprises you at all Uh, (laughs) kind of like he does this thing from at least from like the review i read the more he dis like he discloses things about himself just to make himself seem more mysterious going into the problematic aspects he was like a low-key fascist oh yeah (laughs) yeah um it basically okay so there's this um, it's like article blog post that we'll put on our sources um, that you should all read because it goes a little more into detail. But it's called It's Really Surreal How Salvador Dali Was a Fascist Who Hit Women. <laughs> what what is that what it's title? called? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to look that up right um, now. By Lauren Euler. Uh, o- o- and it's basically the the author is rightfully calling out. Salvador Dali for his bullshit because yeah. we like to look at him as this genius but it's like he was a fuck too oh, totally. um yeah. so he was fascinated by Hitler um <gasps> which showed up in his work and on on some level like just being fascinated by a figure you can't you know you can't
2: well, he was also yeah, I mean, anti-Semitic.
0: Yeah. Oh, sure. Dali was? Yeah. I
2: didn't know that. Yeah, it,
0: sure. it, it, Yeah, exactly. So he was fascinated by Hitler. I'm
1: fascinated by Hitler in the sense that I'm like, what is
0: your fucking problem? Yeah, <laughs> like- but it wasn't like that. He was legitimately fascinated <laughs> right, by him. Right, and, right. Um, and the other Surrealists were, they were, you know, very political, like a lot of artists are. Sure. And they saw his kind of fascination and his unwillingness to support their social stance as, as fascism, which kind of was, yeah. um, there's actually a story I'm going to read. Oh, I'm pulling out of my book. So I have this Dali book and I pulled it out to research yesterday and I found these pressed flowers in it that I totally forgot about. And it was like really magical. That is so magic. It is. So, I suggest to all of you. It's something I do sometimes. I just like you know throw flowers in random ass books and totally forget about it. And like I've done this a few times, and one day down the road you're gonna pull that book out and it's just gonna make you smile. So it is really cool to just leave do that stuff. In a book. Yeah, definitely. I need to do that more.
1: I had that the other day. I, I went through a book and I left some little note in there about, I was like all heartbroken over some boyfriend like 10 years ago. I was like, ha.
0: Have you ever found notes in library books? No. Yes. That is so fun. What? Leave little notes in your library I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. It's so fun. Just notes
1: like, you will be okay. Yeah. (laughs) Or little doodles. (laughs) Or or... like weird stuff. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Don't get the chicken chow fun. (laughs)
0: What? Um, yeah. So, just little life life tips. Um, okay, but anyways, back to his (laughs) fascism. Yes, yes. In 1933, Uh, He criticized the foreign policies of the Soviet Union and professed to be fascinated by Hitler. When Dali exhibited his painting, The Riddle of William Tell, in the Salon of the Independent, at the beginning of 1934, it came to a head. The picture was understood as ridiculing Lenin. Breton called the Surrealists together for a meeting in order to expel Dali, Ah. who... And I quote: "Has demonstrated his guilt several times via counter-revolutionary actions designed to glorify the fascism of Hitler." Uh. Dali appeared at this session on February 5th, 1934, with a thermometer stuck in his mouth, claiming that he had influenza. <laughs> While he spoke, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what fucking <What?
2: What? laughs> <He's an> idiot! <laughs> So, because keeping a thermometer just, in your I'm mouth like, is going to so help tense. you.
0: Is <laughs> that where that image, like, started? I'm the like, I'm like, image
1: of, like, the hot
0: water. Yeah, like, like a cartoon head. image. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, while he spoke, he kept a the thermometer between his lips and from time to time read off the temperature. <laughs> he Honestly, he was a performance artist. Yeah, right? <laughs> he defended himself against Breton's Accusations by stating that the dream of the great language of surrealism could not be censored by or through logic, morals, or fear. I closed with the words Therefore, Andre Breton, if I dream tonight that we make love to one another, tomorrow morning I will paint our most beautiful positions in intercourse with the greatest wealth of detail. Raton, mortified, his pipe clamped between his teeth, growled, I wouldn't like to recommend you do that, my friend. Uh Uh-oh! He was checkmated. Dali ended this grotesque interview by exposing his upper body, kneeling on the floor, and solemnly swearing that he was not an enemy of the proletariat. Even after the Paris group had expelled him, Dali still saw himself as a surrealist. In fact, as the only surrealist. And I quote, the difference between the surrealist and myself exists in the fact that I am a Surrealist.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) Jesus. But honestly, like, just real quick, I'm not trying to excuse Dolly, but Breton was constantly trying to kick people out of his groups. Yeah. Okay, like, that's just, like, a thing that he did. Well, He tried to do it to Duchamp. Like, he just did that. Well, and it was,
0: the whole problem with Breton was that he... In theory, the surrealist movement was this this super avant-garde new thing that was supposed to be open to all possibilities. But then he was like, "But but only according to my rules." Yeah,
2: Pratola came and along
0: like,
1: and said, "This was my club. Yeah, you can't be in it."
0: Yeah. yeah. That being said, I mean, I'm a lot more open to him, why he wanted to kick out Dali than why he wanted to kick out Duchamp. Sure. Because right. there was at least, like, moral, you know, reasoning. Oh no, yeah. Um, I also
2: love in this scenario that both Dali and him were chewing, like, one on a thermometer and the other on a pipe. Yeah. It's just like, oh, Jesus. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so- <laughs>
1: Um, in, in the manner of surrealist thought, you could get real Freudian about
0: Definitely. That, right? And that's a thing you'll hear in some of these other stories I have as well. Salvador Dali lived his life like it was a surrealist painting. Like, there yeah. are so many things he did where you're just like, that's not real life. Like, like you taking your aardvark for a walk. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Exactly. Exactly. Totally um, normal. Totally normal. So, yeah. So... Obviously, we've got some serious issues with his kind of sympathy for fascism. Then, let's see, 1934, Salvador and Gala travel to the U.S. for the first time. And the first Surrealist Ball is held. And I'm going to read a little bit about this because it also wow. just sounds really, really cool. I really would love to go to a Surrealist Ball.
2: What's a throw one. I would also yeah. love to go to that. Or a murder mystery party, either
0: one. Ooh. A surrealist Bulls.
1: murder mystery. Oh, oh! oh!
0: <laughs> That's a great theme for like a Halloween party. Oh, okay. We're putting it in the book. Put that down. Um, okay. So let's see. <laughs> She's literally putting it She's in the book. She's writing it down in the book. <laughs> so the surrealist ball. This dream ball has gone down in history as the first surrealist ball. Dolly was impressed by the crazy ideas of the guests. Society women appeared with their heads stuck in bird cages and otherwise practically naked. In the middle of the staircase, a bathtub full of water had been hung, which threatened to fall and empty its contents over the heads of the guests at any moment. Exciting. And in the corner of the hall hung a butcher's hook with a whole hollowed-out ox hanging from it, the gaping belly of which was held open with crutches and stuffed full with half a dozen gramophones. Yeah, yes. that is so I cool. No, how do you what? Even come gramophones? Of <laughs> gramophones? Crazy, right? Oh man! So this was the life he led. I um, like everything
1: about that. I know,
0: right? Um, I mean, not the dead animal so much.
2: Really like That's rock. okay. They I probably hope he died of them.
0: natural causes. Yeah, but I don't really like that either so I just all right yeah. so, <laughs> so personally I'm not big on that
1: I feel you see for me I got a, a sort of flashback to Mexico meat markets where they have yeah. they got animals kind of just hanging so it's kind of grotesque but then you can have like a dope barbecue later <laughs> for sure. anyway I, that's, I mean that's Sorry. actually another
0: <laughs> thing that people mention like Salvador Dali wasn't really a Friend to animals. Granted, it was a different time, but doing stuff like that was normal. There's that famous picture of him where he's like jumping up in the air, and there's like water and like cats. Oh, and the cats. They had to do like twenty five takes oh, of that, no, and just they were just throwing, throwing cats. wet cats into the oh, air. Oh, poor baby! Exactly. So, and probably the cow and... eyeball. Like, so if you are into animal rights, also problematic. So he befriended Coco Chanel and Elsa Schiaparelli. And he designed for them, um, which oh. was kind of a no-no in the avant-garde art world. Really? Oh, yeah. He's it doing, was, doing selling out? Yeah, it was commercial. It was Ooh. design work. And so Ooh. he was kind of just like, fuck all y'all. I'm going to do he this he didn't give a fuck he make didn't. this money yeah exactly by the end of his life so the last 20 years of his life he was making bank he is one of the wealthiest modern artists of all time yeah. um he definitely wasn't the, the the classic story of the genius who died you know without a penny right. like he made <laughs> money yeah um, we're not
1: shedding tears yeah about Dali. <laughs> which
0: a lot of people give credit to Gala for, because she was like the business babe. She was business babe. And then he just kind of, you know, went with it. But yeah, he made plenty of money. Beginning of the 80s, he became ill with Parkinson's. Oh
2: no! Yeah,
0: and then he had um, I don't have the exact year, I think it was like 88 or 89, there was this big ass fire in his chateau, but he survived. So he just survived this crazy ass fire. And then he died January 23rd, 1989. So he had a long life of craziness. Some other fun stories, there are so many. Yeah. Um he once yeah. drove a Volkswagen Beetle covered in grass throughout Paris. Sure. Cool. Why not? Yeah, dude. Um, Volkswagen, yeah. the of Hitler.
1: <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh it's true. I forgot about yes. that. Wait, wait, yes. wait, wait, wait. Hitler
2: drove a uh, Benz. But Volkswagen was like the name the, of
0: Volkswagen. The, the Volkswagen. Yeah. Wagon. For the
2: people. So Volkswagen mm-hmm. was mm-hmm.
0: made essentially by mm-hmm. us. No. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like a. Yeah. So. I forget note. about that so- association. Yeah. He won. I drive
2: a Jetta, so I, I try to keep conscious,
0: <laughs> you about your German cars. <laughs> yeah. I feel you, dude. Well, I mean, let's be real Volkswagen's. Straight up fucked. Since oh yeah. That, well, scandal. Oh yeah. They're so fucked. I know. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, don't lie. Don't lie about don't do your it. product.
1: Why are you fucking lying? Why are you always lying? Oh my god!
0: Stop, <laughs> Stop fucking, fucking lying. <laughs> lying. <laughs> okay, other dolly. Shenanigans. Um, he once gave a speech. He gave a speech at the 1936 International Surrealist exhibition in a scuba suit. Ah, yes. And he almost died. Oh my god. What of happened? suffocation. <laughs> and someone had to like sweet. save his ass. That's kind of that's kind of metal. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like okay. Um that's so goofy. He had <laughs> he had a nickname that was given to him by Andre Breton. It was an acronym of his name. Avita Dollars, uh, which was funny. which was because he liked that cheddar. He yeah. just wanted to make money, and yeah. he was pretty greedy. So, oh, yeah, yep, so yep. they called him that. Oh, this one I was really excited about. I'd never heard the story. So, at one point in time, Yoko Ono wanted a strand of Salvador Dali's hair. Sure. So she contacts Love him. Her. She's the best. It gets. Oh, this is so good. She contacts him to ask him for a strand of her hair and because he's a greedy fuck and doesn't do anything for free, he charges her $10,000, <gasps> which she pays. Oh yeah. So she she coughs up $10,000 to get this strand of Dolly's hair, and then he sends her a dried piece of grass instead of his hair because he was afraid she was going to use it for witchcraft. I hate him. <laughs>
1: Honestly. Oh my god! It's I thought you were gonna say that he sent her like a pube. No.
2: <laughs> but I mean, I kind of <laughs> like. He was a... afraid she was gonna put some like brew yeah. spell she's on. Yeah, she's exactly. She's
1: she's like an OG bruja, so for real.
0: Uh, but I love what I love about this story. It's ridiculous, but I love that he so fervently believed in the power, the powers of Yoko to do that. I mean, clearly he was into
2: some trippy shit. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he was like, she's gonna fucking cast a hex on me or something. on,
1: On the, like, topic of Dali being super greedy, um, so there's this great documentary that I saw a while back. It was called Jodorowsky's Dune. So, you know Alejandro Jodorowsky, he made like El Topo, The Holy Mountain, these like weird oh, yeah. ass movies, like really great though. Um, so he wanted to do Dune, the movie Dune, like from the book, right? And there is a Dune movie, but it's like not good. I don't like it. But there was going to be a Jodorowsky Dune and it was going to be badass, but it just all fell apart. And a big reason why the film fell apart was because Jodorowsky thought that Salvador Dali would have been just perfect for this, um, like particular character in the Dune book, this like sort of like overboard. And so he wanted Dali for this part and Dolly demanded that he get paid like a $10,000 like per second. Oh my God. That he was in the film, right? (laughs) And like, Uh. and so it just like started to fall apart when like, he just like couldn't make it happen. And then a big reason why was because he, Jodorowsky's vision was like, I really want Dolly yeah. for this part. And it just like, Didn't wasn't going to happen. happen.
0: Yeah. God damn it, Dolly. Watch the documentary. It's called
1: Jodorowski's Dune. I think I got the monetary amount wrong, but he wanted to get paid per second. Like,
0: yeah. Like, bucks per second. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Do, do, do. Okay. So he. This is kind of getting into his artistic approach. He practiced what was called the paranoic critical method. And what he would do, cool. yeah, right. <laughs> he would intentionally invoke a paranoid state. So he would like intentionally just make himself very paranoid like focus on things that make you paranoid and he would like intend Uh. he would invoke a paranoid state in order to deconstruct the psychological concept of identity whoa um and it's super interesting because and you see this in his work very clearly and this is this is this is the shit i love about dali like i love the psychology and i love how he was trying to pull apart reality like I fucking love that shit he was particularly interested in the brain's ability to connect things which are not rationally linked Mm. so by inducing this method he was kind of examining his own irrationality you know and like trying to pull apart how our brains link things that aren't rationally linked and like that's something we do every day you know that's the way human brains work like every day you know humans aren't rational like we're not naturally rational creatures but the fact that he took it and deconstructed it and and used it in art like i'm of the opinion that art is just a way like, it's it's just another form of science. It's just a way for humans to understand their reality. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it is. That's yeah. where it came from. And that's why we do it. And, and that's what he was doing. You know, he's really deeply trying to understand reality. So, Paranoid Critical Method sounds fucking horrible. It yes. doesn't sound fun at all. But it's really interesting.
1: I wonder if I should try that to write my thesis. (laughs) Just, like, like, get in the most paranoid state and, like, somehow spark creativity. It might happen. "Ah." Maybe try it once. (laughs) I'm either going to write my thesis or I'm going to, like, jump in front of the Amtrak. So we'll see one or the other.
0: Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's one of those things that's the dangers of exploring consciousness in this way because it's fascinating but you could also go crazy I yeah want, i
1: don't want to know what's in my mind <laughs> it's not a good place um, for me
0: hit my favorite quote of his you've seen it all over tumblr probably but um, <laughs> tumblr. he was once quoted as i don't do drugs i am drugs yeah. <laughs> wow. which is like Fair, like, because that's another thing why why I think I've I've been so attracted to his work for so long is because, you know, I was always a trippy kid. Like I was always (laughs) I was like, you know, I always was kind of a weirdo and just like naturally attracted to what he was doing here, even though I didn't understand what it was. Like, which leads me actually perfectly to my final point, Dolly and Alice Cooper. <laughs> yes. So, um, Alice Cooper is a great example of this because uh, he actually went to art school. I don't know if you knew this. Really? Yeah, he went I to didn't, art school. But that
2: doesn't surprise me. Yeah, he
0: went to art school, and he actually in this interview I was watching with him about this, he was talking about how in art school, him and all of his art school buddies like they just love Dolly, and it's like, of course he did. Like, yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course, you did, you know? Yeah, dude. (laughs) I mean, he's
1: probably not like getting super deep into all of his problematic aspects. So he's probably just thinking, like, yo, he's
0: cool. Well, nobody was. Like, this is a new thing recognizing how problematic Dolly is. Like, it's a thing, it's throughout history, we like to praise especially white dudes for their genius and not talk about the problems. So, so this is, you know, it's not just Alice Cooper. It's like, that's what everyone was doing. Everyone just loved Ali. Um, But also another personal anecdote, Alice Cooper was like my first concert. When I was like seven years old. So <laughs> I remember
1: that story. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah.
0: technically not my first. My first was in my my mama's tummy. I saw Robert Plant, heard Robert Plant. But the first concert my dad took me to, I was like seven years old, was Alice Cooper. Uh so Dolly and Alice Cooper. In nineteen seventy three, Dolly got really into Alice Cooper. I you
2: couldn't it, be in love with eighteen.
0: I'm 18 <laughs> right, right. as 18 yeah. So he gets and, and it makes sense. Alice Cooper had a had a really well known like his stage show was big and it was trippy <laughs> and it was weird. It makes sense. So Dolly sets up this meeting with Alice Cooper. Uh, he shows up for the meeting wearing a giraffe skin coat. Sure. Sparkly socks that yeah. were acquired from Elvis oh. And, oh. <laughs> and elastic boots. Mm. elastic boots I don't even know what that means <laughs> um, and he's accom- he was accompanied by an entourage of teen girls in robes who said nothing the whole time they were there which is weird and problematic um, and Dali gives Alice Cooper a plaster sculpture of his brain crowned by a chocolate eclair Stop it. with real ants running down the middle <laughs> He really liked liked ants. Salvador Dali was really into ants, and so he like presents this as like a gift. I don't know, and uh, <laughs> Who knows? I know, and he he wants Cooper to model for him, and um, so what ends up happening is obviously Alice Cooper's like fuck yeah, and Dali creates a revolving hologram of Alice Cooper covered in millions of dollars worth of diamonds. And biting the head of a Venus de Milo statuette. And that is a thing. And there is... We'll put it on our sources. It's
2: something to behold.
0: There... Yeah. There's um, an interview of Alice Cooper talking about it. There's also some footage of them (laughs) meeting. And it's really just a whole thing that I learned about yesterday. And I'm really excited about it. Um, So, yeah. Dali just so many stories and there's so many more than that like they never end really but that gives you an idea of the kind of person he was i'm gonna pass it over to jenny and she's gonna yeah she's got a good personal anecdote i do as well me and dolly have a personal
2: experience other than me potentially being his reincarnation which i hope i I am not (laughs) um because i i mean while i appreciate dolly and there are a lot of things that i admire about him i've never really connected to him uh even from like a young age i was I wasn't drawn to much of his work, so when I later learned things about him that were like, oh, he's kind of an asshole, uh, it didn't bother me that much because I was like, oh, okay. But I had this very interesting experience with Dolly in that when I was an undergrad, I was interning at this really small art association in Oregon where I went to undergrad, and they had somehow come across this... Uh, stereoscopic print by Dolly, And what a stereoscopic print is, is it's essentially two images and then it comes with these sort of like prism goggles. And I will take pictures of all of all of this on our website so you can see it. But there are these little goggles with like the image of Dolly's eyes on them. They're so crazy. They're, they're really, really cool. Fittingly <laughs> they're very trippy. Uh, so what you do is you look through these goggle things, and the two images, the two prints kind of merge together as one, and the scene that's being depicted is um, called Christ of Gala. And essentially what it is, it's, it's a representation of Christ on the cross as if you're like, as if the cross is down on the ground and you're crouched behind Christ's head. So you can see like the back of his head, only a little bit of his face down to his toes. And so when you look at the two images together through the goggles, it makes it appear as if Christ is kind of hovering off of the cross. So it's pretty cool in concept. So this was the print that this small art association had. And they told me, hey, we're pretty sure this is fake, but we want you to look into it just to make sure. So I did all this research on it, and this was in 2012, 2013. So it was a while ago, but um, it's still relatively fresh in my mind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this particular print was purchased from a gallery in Honolulu called Center Art Galleries in the 80s. And by 1985, um, there were reports that were starting to emerge uh, from various consumers of this gallery and art dealers that the gallery was selling fraudulent pieces claiming to have made by artists such as Dali. And the majority of these fraudulent pieces were, in fact, prints. Uh, So it turns out close to 12,000 lithographs. And lithographs is a particular kind of print, um, which is an engraving typically on a metal plate. Uh, So up to 12,000 prints and other works proclaiming to be Dali's were deemed to be frauds. Uh, And this was a case that involved the U.S. Postal Service. And the U.S. Postal Service seized um, all of these prints from this gallery in Honolulu as part of a wire and mail fraud case against the gallery. And this is predominantly because a lot of these prints were actually sold via mail. So you would have these tourists coming in to Hawaii from Washington and California and the East Coast. And they would say, oh, we really like this print. We're going to buy it. And then they would want to buy more. And so a lot of these prints were sold by actually sending them through the mail. Hence the involvement of the U.S. Postal Service. So the majority of the fake Dalis, as I said, were prints. Many of them were reproductions um, from originals, like the Christ of Gala, which is actually an original print by Dali. In 1990, a U.S. attorney estimated that between 1977 and 1989, customers who bought the Dali reproduction prints were defrauded a total of $113 million. Damn.
0: That is a lot of money.
2: Yes. So how this was accomplished... There's a few reasons behind it. So, what the galleries or dealers that sold to these galleries would do is they would buy these Dolly reproduction prints kind of in the range of 100 to 130 bucks, so really not that much, and then they would sell them from a quantity ranging from a thousand to twenty one thousand and five hundred dollars. <laughs> this is the interesting point about prints, prints in particular. Uh, The art market is a very complex thing and we could do an episode, two episodes, multiple episodes on the art market in and of itself. But the point that I want to make here in particular is about prints in the art market. So prints are can be rather particularly pushed into the realm of fraudulent works so they can be subject to fraud Um, buying a reproduction as i talked about so you buy a reproduction of a dolly print Um, you can label it an original so the way that prints work for anyone who doesn't really know is that prints will be labeled out of a certain number of series so you can make a series of one print Um, say you make like 300. So then there will be a label on that print that'll say like one out of 300, 150 out of 300. And so when you have a print that's kind of either the first of a series or very early in a series, that jacks up the value for it. Likewise, if a limited edition print, so this is a series of prints where perhaps the artist only made 25 editions of it, that also increases the value so what a lot of these galleries can do in certain cases is say that these reproduction prints like some of these ones of dolly what these people did were to say that they were limited edition or they were first edition and that would dramatically increase the price that they were sold for and there's a particular forger uh, he's dead now, but his name is Leon Amiel, and he was a forger of prints, um, namely uh, Moreau, Chagall, Dali. And he is likely the most um, kind of common factor behind the Dali fraudulent prints that are circulating in America still today. Uh, so these prints continued to be sold even after he, um, Amiel, died. And often they were sold to an aware dealer who knew that they were fakes, such as a dealer named Michael Sabrin, uh, who then he in particular did business with Center Art Galleries in Honolulu, Hawaii. So the owners of the gallery claimed that they didn't know that these were fraudulent. Here's where you get into the gray area. Especially with fraudulent artworks and that you have curators that are saying, oh, we didn't know. In some cases, many cases, they don't. In other cases, "Eh, probably they did. (laughs) Um, And that's a whole gray area, and I'm not going to get into that per se. But... There is more to these fake Dolly prints than just forgerers, dealers, and gallery curators. There is also at the heart of it Dolly himself. <laughs> <laughs> so, some Dolly experts claim that Dolly pre signed a number of blank sheets. I bet he did. <laughs> he did. That
0: son of a bitch.
2: <laughs> and the claim is that he pre signed these uh, leading up to 1980. And as Corey talked about earlier, um, he had Parkinson's and eventually died in 89. And for a long period from uh, the later 80s, he was in seclusion. So there's still not a, a clear consensus on exactly what he was doing. But um, some Dolly experts do say that he was signing blank sheets of paper that would then either be replicated or affixed to later forgeries. The reasons for him doing this would have, of course, been to gain extra financial profits by affixing his name to reproductions of his work or work that were made in his own style.
0: And also maybe just to cause anarchy.
2: Yeah. Cause and like we said, he liked money. Yeah. So, um, and the, the interesting thing about Dali and Prince is that he didn't even really like printmaking. Uh, in his own work, he only made about 39 prints. And most prints of Dali are actually reproductions of his paintings, uh, which he may have authorized or signed, but here we're looking at something more akin to, like, a signed poster, not an original, limited edition print that can sell for thousands of dollars. So... The thing that I want to kind of caution here for anyone who's in the art market or the print market, (laughs) if you do want to collect art, prints are a good place to start because typically these are the more um, kind of financially friendly place to start if you are trying to start collecting art. However, prints, like I said, can be more subject to forgery, and especially if you're looking at a Dali print, I would really caution you, really caution you to be careful about it. Um, They have been selling these fraudulent prints that have been raided um, from galleries like the one in Honolulu. That was not the only one by any means. There were other ones that were busted as well, and you can buy those for like a 100 bucks, and they have a seal on there like, this is a forgery, which is kind of fun that's a conversation piece yeah you you can have that (laughs) in your house um but just I would I would kind of advise exercise caution if you're looking at dolly prints but really how this whole story kind of circulated back around I did this research on this piece and the art association decided okay since this is in fact a fraudulent print it came from this gallery that was busted for selling forgeries we want to cut up the print uh, so that it will never be sold again to some unknowing buyer for thousands of dollars. So they gave me these two like four by four pieces of paper of the print. One is of Christ's Full head of hair on the cross. That one's pretty nice, though. It it's is. Like, it's like a full
0: composition. At oh, least. totally like,
2: right. Yeah, they were mindful of that. <laughs> and then the other one is Dolly's signature, and I say that with air quotes because it also looks entirely different from his signature, which is in the box. And the box is like a work of art in and of itself. Almost, it's this like lovely little cubic box um, that has like this gold embossed uh, signature of his on the inside. With this kind of creepy depiction of his face, and then you pick out the little prism glasses, goggles to look at the print. So that's what I still have. So, this is my experience with Dolly. And it's, I'm, I've kept it all these years, and I still don't know of, like, a really good way to display it. Yeah. You know, like, I have it on a shelf, so people can kind of see it, but if you have any good ideas, like, once I post the pictures of this, if you have any good ideas of how that I could display this in a more kind of creative, artistic way, I would love you to can, hear them. You could <laughs> maybe
0: put this, like, the prints up somewhere and have the box underneath What about, like, this? Yeah. So people... Yeah, like, and then you, you know. could have like the print above it. See, I'm, I'm like, already getting oh. ideas. Oh, oh, like on yeah. the wall, or even oh, you know, that's very like, cool. You know, oh. yeah. So and that, then this one, the other yeah, side, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. like
2: like just like ch- 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 so, like this on a wall and this on like like a. Like yeah a kind of ball, maybe
0: yeah
1: this is like the coolest thing ever and Ginny just by the way has like the coolest stuff in her house and, I just and you have a lot it. of random can i
0: also just say i'm like very proud of you you're like a little art detective <laughs> <laughs> i know that is so <laughs> impressive that really you cool.
1: did that
0: like i'm
2: blown away it was a cool experience, thanks to that art association where I used to enter. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> yeah. They gave me that opportunity. No, but it was very cool, and I learned a lot about Dolly um, just from that experience, because I did research for like months to be like, is this real? This <laughs> is it <a> fake? <laughs> That's me and Dolly. That's me and me and him and our time together. <laughs> and now it's about you and your time with Dolly. So I think it would be really good
1: to wrap up this episode in something that isn't, um, like another Dolly's a piece of shit story, (laughs) um, because, because he wasn't, it's just that he, you know, um, he was only human, okay? (sighs) So we all, we- I, I'm going to have to say that he was kind of a piece of shit. No, no, he was, he was definitely a piece of shit, but, um, he was also a human being. He and was a he human being. He also had some he cool, he also had some cool ideas. Um, so there's a painting by Salvador Dali that is in the Met, and I had the pleasure of seeing it for myself over the summer- um, I went to New York City with my best friend, and, um... Hey, Sonia. Hi, Sonia. <laughs> so, uh, at the Met, I saw the painting with the title of Crucifixion in... He did, like, the crucifixion scenes. Yeah, yeah. He did a few crucifixions. Yeah. So this is one of... One crucifixion, and it is crucifixion in parentheses, um, corpus... Hypercubus. Hmm. And so this is a really fascinating painting, and I just really want to leave you guys off with a sort of like in depth discussion of one of his works because. You know, we were like, "Oh, what should we talk about?" There's so many. You know, obviously, the persistence of memory is the one that almost everybody knows. Right. So, you
2: know, now there's a persistence of Donald version with oh, Trump's face. Look, that. We'll up. put it up. Yeah, that <laughs> one's really great. Um, so like, you know,
1: there's a lot of works by Dali that many of us are familiar with, but I feel like Corpus Hypercubicus is very much. Maybe a little less well-known, but if you've never seen it, please look it up because it is really, really cool. So what it is, is it's a crucifixion scene. It is Christ on the cross and Christ is on a floating cross and his body is suspended in front of the cross, um, in front of, his body are four small cubes, and this cross is made up of cubes. Um, Christ is in a typical um, like crucifixion pose, so he's obviously doesn't look very comfortable. He's crucified, but there are no nails through his hands right. or his feet, and he's in this like sort of space that would never exist you know so dali is well known for having these sort of compositions occurring in these vast landscapes that are in no particular place and beneath him is what looks kind of like a tiled floor um and gala is in the bottom left corner gazing up at christ on the cross And um, so it's just really a fascinating piece and seeing it in person is so cool because um, what struck me about this work was um, his feet. Christ's feet are just like really um, intense and they just, you know, they they look like feet that would have been walked on. Um, So anyway, it's a, it's a really great (laughs) painting. And so Recently, this painting has become a sort of focus because there's a branch of art history that has been studying Dali and his connections with science and physics. So um, Dali, his whole entire life, was really interested in not only philosophy, um, but also science, physics, and mathematics. So in 1975... Um, So this is after the painting had been completed. Um, Salvador Dali contacted a Brown University professor and so contacted this professor's like people and said, have your people talk to my people. And the professor instantly thought just having heard about Dali It's either going to be some kind of hoax or he's (laughs) trying to sue me. Oh shit. So he just immediately thought he's (laughs) trying to get something out of me. You know, because by 1975, Dali has become notorious for these sorts of behaviors. And but it ended up being that Dali really just wanted to talk to this professor about like ideas. So he had all these ideas for works that would never be completed. One of which was a giant statue of a horse that was made up of three parts that were kilometers apart. And so if mm-hmm. you stood in a certain location, it would appear to be a cohesive um, statue. Gotcha. So pretty cool. They um, collaborated for almost a decade. So the professor's name is uh, Thomas um, Bancroft and there's a talk that Thomas Bancroft did in 2012 at the Dali Museum, where he discusses um, corpus hypercubicus. And what he is essentially positing is that Salvador Dali's influ- or um, interest in theoretical physics led him in 1954 to want to create a four-dimensional cube. And so this is obviously very difficult. A four-dimensional cube cannot exist in real life in our three-dimensional universe. Four-dimensional anything is... (laughs) Right. So, um, So it's... He's thinking about these ideas, and um, so according to this mathematician, Dali is doing his best to try to show two perspectives at once. So these are supposed to be two superimposed crosses, and you can kind of get that impression from the image. Um, And so... Dali is working off of these ideas that came out of the Cubist movement, so mm-hmm. he wasn't the first one to be concerned with the fourth dimension. So in the nineteenth century, these mathematicians um, that were coming out with all these ideas about fourth, a, a possible fourth dimension, were just like really, like fascinating. These artists, like people like Picasso, people mm-hmm. like Duchamp, um, these people were really interested in like capturing the fourth dimension, and so we've already talked about Dali and his relationship with the Surrealists and with the Cubists, etc. So obviously he's like, I'm gonna go off and do my own fourth dimension. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah, see you in Um, the 4D. Yeah, see you you in the fourth dimension. (laughs) So in 1958. Um, Salvador Dali came out with the Anti-Matter Manifesto. And he says, (laughs) In the surrealist period, I wanted to create the iconography of the interior world and the world of the marvelous of my father Freud. Today, the exterior world and that of physics has transcended the one of psychology. My father today is Dr. Heisenberg. Mm. Ah, (laughs) yeah. So he's like, uh, I'm just like beyond y'all. I, yeah. I'm I'm talking about
2: physics now. <laughs> I'm a physicist. Now. I have memories from being in utero. <laughs> like you
1: don't even know. Keep up. Uh, so his uh, interest in theoretical physics is um, very much like a product of the times. So it's 1954, and Dalí is a creature of anxiety and so he's influenced by these ideas of like cold war fears so now there's a threat of nuclear annihilation and so he is trying to bridge what an art critic um this art critic Kelly Grovier has stated that Dali with this painting is essentially trying to To build a link between the world of spirituality, so Christ on the cross, his salvation, um, the salvation of mankind through Christ, if you have that worldview, and the world of science and these geometric physical forces. So, as usual... (laughs) Our man is um, really thinking like I'm gonna crack the the code. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm real. I'm gonna I'm gonna bridge the link. I'm gonna bring <laughs> science and art together, and it's gonna be this fourth dimensional cube. And it's just and I'm gonna save the world. And I'm gonna save the world. I'm gonna save the world, I'm save the world from nuclear annihilation. So it's just um, real. It's, you know, and so it is just really interesting, though. It's it's really interesting. You know, so a cube, a regular three-dimensional cube, you could unfold it into six squares. That is called a tesseract.
0: Mm. I love that word. And me yeah. too. There's
1: a there's like a prog metal band called Tesseract. I saw them recently. They're not that good. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> Your name's dope though. <laughs> it's a really cool name. Um, so, so a fourth-dimensional cube then. <laughs> if you were to have a fourth dimensional cube you would unfold it into eight cubes and so that is what we see in this cross that christ is crucified on so dali is um entering the realm of the of the of geometric ideas but also the realm of the metaphysical it's starting to seem like a like a natural development in his art you know so he's leaving the world of dreams a little bit, going into this world of metaphysical, mathematical ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple more things about this painting. Dali claimed that this painting was metaphysical, transcendent cubism. Whew, Yeah. So he claimed that the crucifixion was influenced by a thirteenth-century mystic and a sixteenth-century architect. Yeah, did Um, you say the name? um, Yeah. So the 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 sixteenth-century architect is Juan de Herrera, and he wrote the treatise on cubic form. Mm. So he was Philip II's architect. He built the Escorial Palace. And the treatise was inspired by one Ars Magna of the... He was a Catalonian philosopher and alchemist.
0: Oh. uh,
1: Yeah. Alchemy, it's everywhere. It's, It's in everything. Anyway... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dolly is then taking up these ideas into the fourth dimension, and so this um, this professor of Brown University, Bankoff, is really into this idea, and he sees this link between Dolly's hypercube, which is apparently what you call a fourth dimensional cube. Um, and he, hypercube! Sees, he sees also yeah, a good band name: Hypercube. Yeah. <laughs> But um, he sees a link between Dali's crucifix and these um, drawings of crosses that people that were studying perspective were doing in the 18th century. So I think, I don't know, I kind of like leaving it off on like a little bit of an interesting sort of fact that Dali, while he was a crappy guy... (laughs) In real life, um, he did have some pretty interesting sort of ideas about making art, and he was fascinated by these scientific and mathematical ideas that were coming out at the time. So,
0: I mean, was, I don't, I don't think anyone would disagree with you on that. He I... was a
1: man of the times, but yes, um, fascism sucks, and <laughs> um, so. Do what you will with this information.
0: (laughs) I think it's just important because obviously, like, I mean, yeah, we talked a lot about the problematic aspects of Dali. But I also started the episode talking about how he's the reason I'm an art historian. So it's like, obviously, we appreciate his work and he did some, like, amazing things. But we're living in a time where it's really important that we start to think about these other aspects of these people that we idealize. Yeah, you know?
1: exactly. He was by no means just some sort of eccentric, like benign weirdo. Exactly. Like yeah. he was an eccentric weirdo, but <laughs> he, he
2: was not benign.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: And, and so, and this, yeah. So, Look forward to some more of these critical episodes, <laughs> and especially look forward to our episode on
0: Gogan. That one's just gonna that be, one's just gonna be bashing. That's that's gonna, just that's gonna, gonna be bash, a bash, roast, bash,
2: roast of Gogan.
1: I'm yeah. gonna make a Gogan effigy and light it on fire. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, we legitimately he like Salvador Dali. We we enjoy. Just fuck Gogan. Like I don't think any of us have any positive feelings. We do that episode to associate soon. with that guy. It's gonna be great. Um he was Terrible. he was a huge Piece problem. Of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Piece of shit. Exactly. On a completely different level. But yeah, I, I think yeah, that's the the overall idea is like yeah, dive into some Salvador Dali paintings because they're fucking crazy and interesting. And if you're thinking about, like, reality and, like, you know, these different, like, so- psychoanalytic techniques and you're thinking about physics and, you know, nuclear war, like, yeah, like, the material is endless. And he did also just a lot of, like, fun weird shit, like Hangout House Cooper. So, I mean, he's definitely a really interesting guy. Just don't ignore. The bad thing.
2: Right. And be careful if you're going to buy prints. Yeah. Just don't. <laughs> yeah <'cause laughs> honestly, honestly we don't even know like we yeah. just probably don't just do it unless yeah, it yeah. has a certificate that says this is a fake or unless you're okay with um, the <laughs> with
1: possibility of an inauthentic print <laughs> exactly I mean, we could, we're could. we gonna I'm sure at some point have a whole episode on the, For, forgeries. the
2: forgery ooh, and we could the, have like ooh, five there's, episodes there is
1: so much going on there um, as far as what the we the art market yeah. yeah. know, and what, crazy place. Why, what, why do we care about the authentic mm. like oh Blah, blah, blah,
0: blah, blah. Oh, it But insane. it's also just really interesting how in issues of forgery, how so often because museums want to believe, mm-hmm. they want it to mm-hmm. to be so. Oh, wait,
1: right, so they, like the the one that we just went to the yeah yes yeah.
0: La-
2: La- the
0: Nae. the Lenet La- La- brothers Lenon La- the Lenon brothers. Um, we actually, yeah, we didn't even talk about this. We were at the Legion of Honor recently, and we're In hosted. San
1: Francisco, by the way.
0: We were hosted by an absolutely amazing curator. Mm-hmm. She was fantastic and lovely. She was
1: lovely. Um,
0: and we learned about these dudes that we didn't know about the the Lenon brothers. And like, there's a lot of stuff that's credited to them that isn't actually them, and it's just like people who buy it just want to. They just yeah. want to believe it. The yeah.
1: entire exhibit was like, was
2: it? This brother? <laughs> yeah. Was it... That brother
1: Wasn't like, no brother it Wasn't any <laughs> brother we'll never I almost know.
2: like Compare it to when Like you're buying Very expensive Like facial products Or something And you're just like I just want to believe That this will get rid Of my crow's feet Yeah I just want to believe That this is an authentic piece Exactly And that, it, that it's You know Important And valid and, and it might not be But you know The power of the mind Is an incredible thing It is
0: It really is <laughs> But sometimes And we will We'll do an episode on this But there are some some examples of forgeries that just... Where you're
2: like, huh? Where where you're like,
0: there is no way that that was actually that person. Like, there is no way, but people believed it for years. It all depends
2: on the context.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, anyway, Salvador Dali, easily just one of the most interesting people of people. Like, he's just interesting um so we'd love to you know hear your feedback or any any anecdotes about salvador you might have because we all seem to have personal anecdotes about it do you also
2: think that you might be a reincarnation (laughs) Let us if know. so, please contact me. <laughs> yeah, Tell me what day you were born and at what time so we can compare astrological <laughs> symbols. We're trying to
1: piece together Ginny's past life. Yeah. And, um, so if you can help in any way. If you have any information. We would love to hear it. <laughs>
0: um, yes. Um, so listener mail comes to us from Sam. Hi, babes. I'm Sam. I'm an adjunct sociology faculty and a new mom. Both dope. Those Congrats. Congratulations. That's a lot of stuff. Um, I have been following you since your second podcast. You are amazing. Thank you. I've been learning a lot from you. Thanks for making this process so down to earth and fun for me. No problem, girl. That's what we're here for. I like it. Um, I really enjoyed the last podcast, especially for mentioning an Iranian artist. She's talking about our Getting Graphic podcast mm-hmm, that we did. Um. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm few weeks back uh just wanted to correct her name's pronunciation it's kind of like mar john mar john uh, so we were talking about Marjan john satrapi, satrapi yeah um, how did
1: how did we pronounce it Marjane. oh okay Mar-John. um and
0: who wrote uh the persepolis mm-hmm. uh graphic novels mm-hmm. and she's just also a badass um and yeah so we were Pro- pronouncing it incorrectly. So thank you so thank much you, Sam. for the heads up. We appreciate it. Um she ends it, keep rocking girls. Love you babes. We love you too. Good luck with just being an academic and a mom. That sounds amazing and like a lot of work. So. You can do
1: it. We have this awesome professor in our department who is just like the most badass babe and she's a single mom. With two girls, mm-hmm. and she's just like, Rocking. I gotta get out of lecture. I gotta go pick up my girls. that are waiting for me in the rain. And I'm like, Get out of here, girl! <laughs> go pick up your kids. And, and yeah, she's, she's. We see her around town taking her kids to karate. It's like <laughs> she just does it all. She really does. I love it.
0: She's on all of our thesis committees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's just amazing. She's so yeah. Amazing. All the luck in the world to you. Keep killing it. Um, thank you so much for listening. And then we have another one. From Fiona. I love that name. That's Me a beautiful too. name. You babes are so, so, so wonderful. Oh. And I'm so freaking jazzed after every episode I listen to. <laughs> Frida blew my mind. I'm obsessed. You are just too kind. Um, I'm a third year at the University of Virginia studying public policy and took a class on impressionism and post-impressionism oh. on a whim last semester. The very The first art history class I've ever taken in my life. I know I don't have to describe to you the experience of looking up at a work of art you've never given a second thought to before and feeling that incredible spark in your heart and brain and gut. Yeah, we know that vibe for sure. Given the current state of our government and the political atrocities that are certain to come, what would you say is the most dire problem facing the arts right now? I'm interested in the role that I can play as a policy student recently aware of how lit art is. As super smart women who've been studying art for as long as you have, what would be the best thing government could do for the arts and the worst? Thank you so much for your smart, inspiring, hilarious podcast. Please keep making more so I can keep learning about how cool art is. Your fan, Fiona. Thank you so much, Fiona. Ooh. So many nice words. Also, the fact really that... Really good questions. Yeah, the fact that you're trying to, like, merge public policy and art is just, like, so dope. It's, like, such a dope thing it's to be doing. It's
2: very needed as well. Yeah,
0: so... Um, the, the worst thing... What's the worst <laughs> thing that government could do for the arts right now?
2: Cutting funding. Which, yeah. For, for different art programs, art camps, especially, like... Art in elementary school, middle school, high school, cutting all of that would
0: be the worst. Arts are so just Uh, important to little growing brains. Like, they're just
1: really important. I think the next few years are going to be very um, dark times for the arts. Um, They were just hanging something in our building in Everson um, yesterday morning that was um, just all about Trump's administration wanting to cut funds to the arts and humanities and which isn't something like, and I feel crazy saying this because I'm not trying to make any kind of excuse for Trump and his administration, but the arts and humanities have been under attack for years and years and it's just getting but, worse. Yeah. He
0: just wants to wipe it He out, just wants right? it
1: gone. And honestly, I just think that one of the biggest challenges to the arts our government bodies coming out vocally saying yeah. arts education is not useful or, you know, you're just going to waste your time if you major in blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that the most damaging actions that we're experiencing are in taking away mm-hmm. funds and also like public figures saying like, in a public forum that the arts are not. Right, and mm -hmm. and it's just
2: misinformed. It really is. It's misinformed to say something like that. Yeah. And I think, bottom line is, we live in an increasingly visual culture, and it's no longer just about art or art history or history. It's about living in a world where images have power. Images have always had power, and images will always have a presence and a power, even if you technically don't believe in them. That's why they are constantly remade, Mm -hmm. destroyed. That can't be ignored. So moving beyond that, in terms of things you can do that are related to policy, are just pushing the funding of programs that facilitate art and art education. Uh, And the
0: humanities in general, because it's it's all
2: interrelated. And arts and sciences. So many people don't seem to get that, like, the arts and the sciences really go hand in hand in a lot of ways. And I think the sciences in many ways are also under threat with the current administration. Like, hello. Intellectualism
0: (laughs) is under threat.
2: (laughs) So in trying to preserve and promote and defend and support the humanities and the sciences in general is a good, really good place to start. Um I wish I had more specific.
0: <laughs> I mean and that's also it, but. yeah, that's also something for all of our listeners and for all of us. Um there actually my cousin posted this thing on Instagram today and it was like um just a list of advice from I think it was Martin Luther King Jr's I don't know if it's his daughter maybe, someone related to Martin Luther King Jr and it was like a list of advice of how to handle the situation and there was like five things on it and one of them was support the arts yeah like support the arts as much as possible because the arts is where you're gonna have people speaking out against these things exactly and that's how it's been for centuries yeah the arts is is where revolutions (gasps) start like so the best thing like because i totally like i totally agree with what you're saying that in the the idea that it's going to be a dark time because arts programs are going to probably lose funding or they're going to be under attack and stuff but but on the flip side i think it's going to be a beautiful time for art of yes. all kinds because right. it's when shit like this happens that people that's when when the art gets good that's yeah. when like stuff like really good stuff comes yeah. out
1: it's gonna get good yeah I, I think that what I meant by that is that you know things things like funding things like spaces to create mm-hmm. like yeah. those kinds of things are are going to be harder to come by. Yeah, the making you know? of it
0: isn't going to be yeah. any easier. Like for the, sure. the
1: people that are graduating with degrees in art studio are going to have a hard time. Like mm-hmm. people like us are going to have a hard time. Yeah. But it's also on the flip side of that is that nothing is ever going to stop art making. Mm-hmm. It's an innately yeah. human thing to exactly. do. Exactly. And it'll we'll be scribbling yeah, on cave
0: walls. Yeah. Like, like
1: after the nuclear Holocaust, <laughs> we'll be, yeah, like, using our three arms to make some crazy
0: shit like <laughs> that you've never seen before.
1: So, oh my that god, that would be great. That would be great.
0: So uh, you know, but yeah, so, so, in this particular situation, um public policy wise just anything to fight for education yes and arts education is definitely definitely going to be the best use of um your abilities and your time also i mean just things you can do with like public policy in the arts is like issues of was it repatriation Repatriation. like so when basically cultural heritage or like art of a certain culture gets like stolen by Mm -hmm. like colonialism yeah like trying to help get it back. That's yeah. kind of a
2: thing that... That's especially, especially relevant in the in our country where you have different artworks that are displayed in museums from Native American tribes that are not meant to be displayed. So there are current, like, ongoing cases, legal cases of this where tribes are trying to get these uh, pieces back. I think in any way you can support different groups in the United States that have been oppressed for a long time. Like if you can support different art coming out of the black lives matter movement, if you can support art that's coming out of native American groups and, you know, the repatriation of getting those um, specific pieces back of theirs that were not meant to be displayed in museums, but were put there in like the 20th century or whatever, things like that can really help as well kind of on a more um, political, systemic level. There's a lot. There's a lot to do. Yeah, we, we there's not so threw much threw out a lot. to do. Um, and I'm sure there's more that we're missing. So also if listeners hear this and they think of anything else, we would love to hear and we can spread the word on that.
0: Yeah. Best thing we can all do is just keep supporting each other yeah. and supporting the arts and keep doing shit. Fucking fighting, man. Yeah, resist, you know, resist, resist.
1: Yeah, and I'm seeing it. Like I okay, so tonight Natalie is visiting this um art street that is happening in um Sacramento. And it is this like really cool thing where they're building these condominiums, just sort of like on the fringes of the edge of Sacramento and there's like abandoned warehouses out there and so a group of people just got together and decided like let's turn this space into gallery space and so it's really really cool and like that kind of like pop-up art yeah installation yeah. stuff I'm like crazy about that oh yeah like, yeah it's so
0: cool it's great make art support art Talk about, about it. Talk about art. Be art. Be art for real. That's like yeah, my like life goal is just to like be art. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. and and it should be everybody's life goal. We're just all walking like art beings. Yeah. What a lovely wow. world it would be. I feel <laughs> I feel warm and good. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So so there's lots you can do, but yeah. thank you for that
1: question. That, that was... was a
0: great a wonderful great question question. that was good
1: yeah it really sparked a lot of like conversation i'm still gonna be thinking about
0: it while i'm lying in my bed later tonight
1: i'm gonna be thinking about it when i go home and eat a burrito (laughs) (laughs)
0: um yeah so thank you for the great question please we'd love to hear any other ideas feedback thoughts on how we can use the arts in this current political climate because yeah it's not going away anytime soon so um, the power of
2: the image lives on yes
0: thank you so much for listening to our episode on salvador dali hopefully you learned something some things some things i think they learned a lot i think they lived a lot um i think (laughs) you're gonna have some good stories you know to at your next cocktail party just youtube
1: YouTube Salvador Dali, and you'll find some just crazy
0: shit it's a rabbit hole it's a fun it's a great rabbit hole thank you so much for listening check out our website www.arthistorybabes.com like us on facebook you can follow us on instagram at art history babes podcast twitter at art history babes um, write us a review on iTunes. Those yes, are so great, so
1: good, and so lovely. Check out our Patreon. Yeah, if
0: you wanna, if you wanna help support the arts, <laughs> yeah, Patreon slash art history babes. We appreciate it. It's really great every time. Every every little dollar really does help. We're it not really just does. saying that; like no, it does. It really does. Um,
1: we're, we're just trying to make this podcast better for you. Yeah, we're doing this for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um you know but seriously thank you guys so much for listening and all your shout outs and support and fan mail it like just keeps us going and keeps us excited i read and, it when i'm sad yeah and then i feel better i know it's so true it's it, so yeah. real yeah whenever you guys i have are the best you really are like whenever i'm having yeah like a not feeling great about you know, what I'm doing, like, with my life kind of a moment. I'm just, like, I think podcast. And I'm like, hey, those people like us. (laughs) Those people appreciate what we do. They really like me. Yeah. So thank you so much. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. We love you.
1: From Cabernet. own fourth dimension fuck yeah see you in the 4d i'll see you you in the fourth dimension
2: mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement whether mom's into classic dress watches rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers movement has something she'll love And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.